Welcome to the chalkboard, my fellow football nerds, for episode number 137 of Chalk Talk. I'm your host, Shane Half, and you can follow me on Twitter and YouTube at Shane Half NFL. I'm joined today by the best co-host in the game. You've heard him on the Tough Cover radio show. It is Mark Henry Jr. Give him a follow on Twitter at Mark Henry Jr. Mark, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing well. Uh, you know, I, I wish I could say the same about our Eagles, but we're not even going to be talking about uh, our Eagles uh, on this pod because did, we're doing a pod that is now our third annual Fix Your Franchise pod. One of my favorite pods we do every single year on Chalk Talk. So I, I went way too in the weeds for some of these uh, some of these teams that missed the playoffs. So I, the, for the next three, four, five weeks, whatever it is, uh, we will probably be focusing heavily on the playoffs. But for now, and then again, when the when the draft season picks up, this is the time to shine for the teams that missed the playoffs. Yeah, this is my favorite podcast that we do all season long. Uh, and it's something we came up with in our first year doing this podcast together. And it's something I look forward to every year. And so what we're going to be doing today, uh, we're going to talk about four games that were really important for re- playoff relevancy uh, briefly. Uh, but then we're going to turn the page and talk fixing your franchise. There's 14 teams that made the playoffs and we're going to be talking about those 14 teams a lot over the next month of football as the playoffs play out. But for the other 18 fan bases, your season's over and we're going to dive into coaching moves. We're going to dive into roster management. We're going to do a first round mock draft and just give kind of a blueprint for the off season. This is sort of, this is sort of a putting your team on the long boat and, pushing it out to sea and then shooting the flaming arrow at it because we're going to bury your team for the next month. And then we'll all pick back up again after the Super Bowl when we get really big into draft content. So that's kind of where we're going. Uh, And over the playoffs, we'll have a little bit of a different wrinkle each week. Like next week, we're going to recap the uh, wild card games and give our award ballots if we had awards. So we've got some different stuff we're going to do. But today I'm really excited for fixing your franchise we've got some guys in the comments already uh daniel Berry says on youtube yo uh we've got richie on youtube says the rams and the eagles are going to play at the link on january 21st uh we'll see about all of that Uh, it's not the craziest it's not the craziest comment it's what i'll say it's not the craziest yeah all right so Let's dive into it. Before we get into fixing your franchise, we are going to talk about four games briefly that were really impactful uh, in week 18. We're going to start it off on a Saturday game with the Houston Texans at the Indianapolis Colts. This was a win and end game for these teams. And Houston won 29, or tw- excuse me, 23 to 19. Um, Houston started this year with a rookie quarterback with their fourth coach in four years. And with 11 combined victories over the last three seasons, they end this regular season with 10 wins. And by virtue of a Jacksonville Jaguars loss, they are also the AFC South champions. Uh, You got to feel great about that one. If you're a Texans fan Uh, with the game tied late, CJ Stroud led a drive going seven of seven for 82 passing yards to take the lead. Uh, Nico Collins had nine catches for 195 yards and a touchdown in this game. C.J. Stroud, 20-26 for 264. 
CJ Stroud is now third all time in rookie season passing yards with 4,108. Mark, can you name one of the two guys that has more passing yards as a rookie? Hmm. I don't. Maybe RG three. It's not RG three. Yeah, I mean, I he he had the more rushing. Hmm. Andrew Luck. Andrew Luck is the leader with four thousand three hundred seventy four. Give me the, the other, other one. The other one is your favorite quarterback to my dog on. Favorite. Oh, my favorite quarterback to dog on. Not Jameis, right? Justin Herbert. Uh, Justin Herbert. Okay. 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 Yeah. Gotcha. So. He's behind only Justin Herbert and Andrew Luck. Uh, for the Colts, Jonathan Taylor went off in this game. He rushed for 188 yards, but he was off the field on a crucial fourth and one uh, in favor of Tyler Goodson, who had only played 45 snaps prior to this game. And uh, that's a that's a pretty big blunder, in my opinion. Um, yes, you should expect any running back to be able to catch a pass. And yes, Gardner Minshew threw a bad pass, but that's a tough way to see the season end. If you're a Colts fan, however, Colts fans, I'm not going to tell you how to feel, but you should feel ecstatic by what your coach showed with a backup quarterback this year. And we're going to get into your franchise a little bit more momentarily. But Mark, what were your thoughts on this game? Yeah, I don't want to talk too much on the Colts because we're going to get to that with the fixer franchise. But I, I will say, I mean, the big conversation is what you what you kind of finished there with, and it's does the play justify itself because it was so open? It's 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 tough to say what an idiot Shane Steichen is because you look at the play and, you know, even with a below average throw in that spot by Minshew, it, sh- it still should have been caught. He was wide open. I mean, anyone should make that play. But on the other hand, like you said, I agree with you. It's fourth and one. Your season's on the line. You shouldn't be relying on Tyler Goodson in that spot. Jonathan Taylor has 188 yards. Um, But again, it's hard to, it's hard to get too upset with Shane Steichen when the play worked so well, if that happened in week 11 and that's the play you went with on fourth and one and that lost you the game or fourth and two, whatever it was. And that lost you the game. I, I'd be a little bit more understanding, but it's fourth and season right there. You're on the doorstep of getting to the playoffs in your first year as a coach. Go down with your, go down with your guys, go down with the guys who are going to be there next year. Go down with Michael Pittman, go down with Jonathan Taylor, go, like go down with those guys, but that's not what they did. So, you know, it, it's a really tough conversation because man, I mean, as the play was happening, as someone who bet the Colts in that game, as the play was happening, I, I was watching it like, oh, my God, he's going to score. And it goes right through his hands. So, yeah, it, it, it just didn't work out for the Colts. On the other hand, the Texans, I I think uh, there's a little bit too much, you know, pe- too many people acting like the Texans won their Super Bowl last week. People are counting the Texans out. When you have a quarterback as good as C.J. Stroud is, you have a chance in the playoffs. There's no ifs, ends, or buts about it. And I'm not saying they're going to win the Super Bowl. I'm not saying they necessarily even have a chance to win the Super Bowl. But you have a chance to at least win a game or two, especially a home playoff game. And I think that's exactly what C.J. Stroud is going to do next week. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get on to uh, – I had a comment here from Rufus Rogers. said the ball hit his hands. Any NFL players should catch it. And, yeah, Minshew should have made a better throw, too. It was behind him. So, 
there's certainly lots. I'm not going to kill Shane Steichen too much. Uh, it's not what I would have done, but he's done a marvelous job with the Colts this year. Let's pivot to the other and, team. And, and, and real quick, hey, I mean, the Colts, are, they're probably going to have a, a new offensive coordinator who's been the offensive coordinator at the Colts before. They they can pick up Nick Sirianni after the season, and, and you know, that'll, that'll be nice. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to steer clear of that one, and I'm going to move on to the other game <laughs> in this division because apparently this is the AFC South podcast. Uh, but you got to talk about Jacksonville losing to oh. Tennessee twenty to twenty eight because this was winning in for Jacksonville, and they didn't. They lost and they went home uh, for the second season in a row. The AFC South came down to a Week eighteen matchup between these two teams. Last year, the Jags were on a hot streak, winning four in a row prior to the matchup, and then they won to get into the playoffs. This year, they had lost four or five, and they continued that trajectory, losing and missing the playoffs entirely. Now, they had two turnovers. They had three turnover on downs. They gave up 175 rushing yards. 28 points was Tennessee's scoring high of the season. Uh, but their last possession was the worst from second and two Trevor Lawrence threw three straight incompletions for the final turnover on downs. And that's a tough pill to swallow for the Jags to miss the playoffs here um, <clears throat> for the Titans. Derrick Henry gets his send off in what's probably his last game as a Titan. He rushed for 153 yards uh, and he will enter free agency in his age 30 season. Uh, he is second. In Tennessee history as a rusher with 9,502 yards, and he's their leader in rushing touchdowns with 90 touchdowns. Uh, Mark, what do you make of the Jags collapse here? Yeah, I mean, it's brutal. Doug Peterson's, uh, I saw the tweet today, and it was like, you know, the society if Doug Peterson never met Press Taylor, and it was like the picture of Utopia. Um, and, and yeah, it's Doug Peterson seems to be intent on letting Press Taylor ruin his career fired a lot of people off of his offensive and defensive staff today, not press Taylor. Um, he, he survives yet again. And it's just, yeah, I, I mean, I don't think that the problems are unfixable. I think Trevor Lawrence was incredibly hurt down the stretch, almost similar to Baker Mayfield a, a couple years ago, playing down the stretch that one year playing hurt, and it affected his, his kind of his opinion or the league wide league wide opinion on him because he was playing through injuries and it affected his performance. I think the same thing's happening with Trevor. And then there was, I, I don't know if you know, I, Ian Harditz. I, I think he's a, maybe a PFF guy or something like that. Tweeted out a video uh, of near touchdown misses this year from Trevor Lawrence. And there was like 15 to 20, like near touchdowns, like inches away, you know, whether it be Trevor, putting the ball inches, you know, from where it needed to be. And, or most of them being receivers, just either not catching it or not getting two feet down. Mm-hmm. Um, and Jacksonville's in a really weird spot this off season. Um, we're going to talk about it in the fix your franchise thing, but not a lot of like glaring holes, but also like not a ton of positions where you're like, Oh, we have an elite guy here or like a very good player. It's really two. It's like Trevor Lawrence, if you want to say that. I still think he's a very good quarterback. And I think that the questions about him are, you know, I think some are being valid, but I also think he's kind of becoming the poster boy for, oh, the national media pushed this guy, you know, and he isn't even that good. 
And it's it's all because of him being the number one pick for three years in college and how much people heard about him at Clemson. He was winning national titles and having all that success. And I, I think we've talked about it on here. The thing that we always said about Trevor Lawrence in his draft process was that he was the safest prospect that we had ever seen at quarterback because there was no way he wasn't going to turn out to be a good quarterback. And whether people like it or not, he is still a good quarterback. Now, he had a bad year. It's his third year in the NFL, and his first year was spent under a moron, so it almost doesn't count. So it's really his second year with a competent coaching staff. His first year, he had a nine-week stretch where he was a top-three quarterback in football. This year, that not so much. He was probably like the 12th or 13th best quarterback in football, and I think a lot of that was due to bad luck. I think if you know some of the things went another way, he could have been the 8th or ninth best quarterback in football, but – it, it really is an interesting situation. And then you obviously, you know, you base, you keep Doug Peterson, you keep Russ Taylor. It doesn't seem like there's probably going to be that much change with the play calling on offense. So it, it's a weird spot for Jacksonville. Yeah. Yeah. And we're going to get into them more momentarily, but before we do two other games, we want to mention uh, the next one is the Chicago bears at the green Bay Packers. Uh, and the Packers win this game, which puts them into the postseason. They won 17 to nine. Uh, Green Bay started the season two and five. And I picked Green Bay to win the their division in our divisional previews. And at two and five, I, I kissed that goodbye. But I also thought they had no shot to get back into the playoffs. And they did. Uh, they got back to six and eight. They won their final three games to seal a playoff berth and Jordan Love did something that Aaron Rodgers and Brett Favre did not. Neither of those guys got to the playoffs in their first year as a starter, and Jordan Love did. And that's meaningful. And it's especially meaningful when you look at, uh, based on average age weighted for playing time, the Packers are the youngest team to make the playoffs since 1977. Like, this is a team with everything in front of them. Now, it's not like they have a rookie quarterback. They've only got Aaron Rod or Aaron Rodgers. They've only got Jordan Love, I think, for one more year before they're going to have to get into contract negotiations. So that's the downfall to building it this way. But uh, Jordan Love finished the final eight games of the season with only four turnovers, only one of which was an interception. Uh, Aaron Jones leads the NFL in rushing yards since week 15 at 411 after he had his third straight 100-yard game. And so everything's pointing in the right direction for this team as they get into the playoffs right here. Now they get to go face their former coach and Mike McCarthy. And this is a young roster, so it's not like they're going to remember McCarthy, uh, but it's an interesting storyline uh, as we head into the playoffs, Mike McCarthy versus former team. Uh, what did you make of uh, this game? Youngest team in football, uh, the green Bay Packers, one of the top five youngest teams of all time to make the playoffs. Um, I think it's like the youngest team, and I forget the stats, so I don't want to give it out, but a decade, 20 years, something like that, um, to have made the playoffs. So, yeah, what Green Bay's done, what LaFleur's done, what Love has done um, has been incredible, and Love's the focus. I mean, you look at what Jordan Love, in the last eight games for Jordan Love, and the Packers have went six and six and two in these games. Jordan Love has a 71% completion percentage. He has 2,150 yards, uh, 18 touchdowns, one interception, two rushing touchdowns. So, I mean, that is pretty incredible stuff there. He's getting, you know, 
basically two and a half touchdowns per game total, uh, 270 passing yards per game, you know, one pick over eight games. That is a crazy, crazy eight game stretch here for Jordan Love. And, you know, the Cowboys are really good. Cowboys are the second best team in the NFC, I think, unquestionably. But the thing I said about CJ Stroud before, it just might apply to Jordan Love. With the way Jordan Love is playing right now, he's playing like a top 10 quarterback, maybe even a top seven quarterback in the NFL. You could make an argument. I'm not going to make it because I really don't have an opinion on that game yet. But you could make an argument that the way Jordan Love is playing, you have a chance against anybody. Yeah. All right. And let's roll on to our final game before we truly get into fixing franchises. And that is the Sunday night game, Buffalo at Miami. Buffalo wins 21-14. And so they're the two seed. Uh, Their self-sabotage was on full display early. They had 286 yards in the first half, but only seven points because they had two interceptions. They mismanaged the clock to get stopped at the goal line as time expired going into half. And then in the second half, they fumbled inside the Miami 25 to end another drive before they got a punt return for a touchdown to tie the game up. Uh, They eventually take the lead. They were unable to run out the clock, so they gave Miami a minute 53 to drive for the tie, uh, but Taylor Rapp intercepted a terrible pass intended for a double-covered Chase Clay, not a double-covered Tyreek Hill. (laughs) A double-covered, like if it's Tyreek Hill, it makes sense. Tyreek Hill had limped off the field for a play. Double-covered Chase Claypool corner route. Never had a chance. Um, Josh Allen, you know, Mark, we we parse quarterbacks sometimes, and we say there's quarterbacks you win because of, quarterbacks you win with, and quarterbacks you win in spite of. Josh Allen is unique in that sometimes he is a quarterback you win because of, and sometimes he is a quarterback that will play so bad you can't possibly win. Like there's not a lot of in between. And for the first half, it was bad Josh Allen. And then in the second half, good Josh Allen. And we've seen bad Josh Allen lose week one against the Jets pressing. We'll see how it goes in the playoffs. uh, If he's able to rein that in because he struggled with that at times in this game. Meanwhile, on the other side, uh, the Dolphins are stumbling into the playoffs after starting nine and three. They lost three of their final five. They are one and five against playoff teams this season. Uh, they're also tremendously beat up Jalen Waddle, Raheem Mostert, Tyree Kill, Bradley Chubb, Jalen Phillips, Xavier Howard, Andrew Van Ginkle, all are injured in various degrees uh, as they'll face the Chiefs this weekend. So uh, what were your main thoughts uh, coming out of this game? This is a tough, a tough game um, to try to parse and to try to have takeaways from because I watched the whole game. I had a lot of money on the Bills. Uh, this was my best bet of the week. Uh, I I also, I think I said on Chalk Talk last week that I have a pretty big future on the Bills to win the AFC and the Bills to win the Super Bowl. Uh, and those, that is my rooting interest since the Eagles are, uh, you know, for all, in purpose, for all intents and purposes, dead. So the Bills are the team that I'll kind of be living and dying with the rest of the way, even though I am a two-anon believer, I'm a two-a guy, and I am obviously a Lamar guy, but... Uh, yeah, Aiden has a comment. I think the Steelers upset the Bills. 
no TJ Watt. Go check the go check the stats for the Steelers uh, over the last couple of years when Watt's available and when he's not. I, I That's think, such a rough break for the Steelers, too. Yeah, yeah. And honestly, even with Watt, I think it would have been a really tough matchup going to Buffalo. I think going to Kansas City would have been a little bit more doable, especially since Kansas City's offense hasn't been quite as good. So if you're Pittsburgh, you could maybe make that a bit more of a slog. Uh, Buffalo, I think that's going to be hard to do against. So um, Buffalo and but yeah, like there's the whole in terms of I watched this whole game and I, you know, you feel like the Bills were the much better team and you feel like the Bills wasted a lot of opportunities, you know, turnovers down by the red zone, uh, fourth, fourth down, not going their way down by the red zone. But they also had a punt return touchdown. So that part of it makes you feel like they were a little bit lucky, but they outgained the dolphins by 200 yards in, in this game. I mean, they had 10 more first downs, uh, their yards per yard yards per attempt were like three yards higher. So I, I think, I do think the bills were the much better team in this game. And how amazing is Josh Allen that Josh Allen had 360 yards in this game. And I didn't even really feel like this was, a top five Josh Allen game of the year. Like he is just so damn good that I, you know, with the bills running game, it, it didn't look that good in this game, but they have been, they've shown signs of life at times in the Dallas game, in the last Miami game, in other big games throughout the year in the Kansas city game, you've seen that running game show up. And when you have that running game, when you have the defense playing the way they did against Miami in this game, you just can't convince me that Josh Allen doesn't make you a Super Bowl contender playing the way he is right now. He is on a mission. Uh, so, yeah, I, I am big time. Uh, you know, I said there, I tweeted out during this game, and I, I'm actually curious how you feel about this, Shane. I feel like the narratives out there that, you know, basically you can go hibernate for the winter and you can wake up for the Super Bowl and it'll be Ravens 49ers, right? That's the narrative. Uh huh. Do you agree with that? No. It's just I not think, how it works. Yeah. That's never, I mean, that's never how it works. When I, well, actually, I don't know the answer to this. It might be last year, but when's the last time that the number one seed made it out from both sides? Did, did that happen last year? I think it was last year, but I think before that, I think it was the Eagles and the Patriots. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that that, that's, that would be how it would break down if you'd look at it. I'm pretty sure I heard that last year uh, when we went to the Super Bowl. Um, but uh, outside of that, who do you think has a better chance of getting to the Super Bowl out of those two teams? Uh, between the Ravens and the 49ers? Yeah, for me, it's not close. 49ers. Yeah, it's easily the 49ers because the AFC has just more teams that scare me than, than and the I, NFC. I does. think the Ravens might be a better team than the 49ers, but the 49ers have an easier path. I don't know if I agree, even though it feels hard to say that because they beat the crap out of them in San Francisco. <laughs> um, I, but I just think San Fran, when they're rolling, I think their A minus game is so much better than everybody else's. But maybe that's, you know, I just like, like I just said, Baltimore beat the crap out of them. So it's hard to say. Uh, but I, I do think San Francisco is going to win the Super Bowl. I've made no bones about that. But I, because I'm so sure San Fran's winning the NFC, it almost makes me more sure that Baltimore is not going to win the AFC, which is just honestly, it's probably a stupid way to think about sports. It's probably a stupid way to think about football. But I tweeted out during the game that 
if the Bills win this game, the Buffalo Bills will win about Bills Dolphins. If the Bills win this game, the Bills will win this, the AFC. If the Bills lose this game, the Chiefs will win the AFC. Uh, so that's what I thought. That if, if they would have lost the game, it would have set up beautifully for Kansas City. You get Pittsburgh coming to, to your town as the sixth seed and the two seeds Miami. So worst case scenario, you're going to Miami. Uh, best case scenario, you're hosting Houston or Cleveland. Like mm-hmm. that would have set up beautifully for Kansas City. Now, I think things set up pretty nicely for Buffalo. You get a, a, a Pittsburgh team without TJ Watt. You don't have to go to Baltimore until uh, the third round. There's a pretty good chance you end up facing Houston or Cleveland. Um, but there's also a good chance you face Kansas City, who you beat in Kansas City, and now you get them in Buffalo. So I think you are feeling great if you're a Buffalo Bills fan after the trials and tribulations of this year that you're exactly where everyone picked you to be. You're 11 and six. You won your division. You're the two seed and you're right there in the mix to win a Super Bowl. Yeah. So let me ask you this. You you said who you think I would assume you would say Baltimore is the second most likely team to come out of the AFC. Yeah, I yeah, I think Kansas City is right there though. Uh, there, there's a big part of me that thinks the winner of Bills Chiefs will beat the Ravens. I, I don't know, you know, who comes out of that. I, I, I'm picking Buffalo, um, but assuming that Buffalo and Kansas City both win this week and they face off next week, I, I do think the winner beats Baltimore. But for the very fact that you know Baltimore doesn't have to play either of those teams, yeah, Baltimore probably has a better chance than Kansas City. Who's the second most likely team to come out of the NFC? It's Dallas. It's definitely Dallas. But if I was getting crazy, if we're getting crazy, I have a game of the year this year, this week, Shane. I know this isn't a wild card weekend preview, but I absolutely love the Los Angeles Rams plus three and a half uh, against the Detroit Lions. And yeah, Aiden, see, we disagree on the Bills and Steelers. But we are lockstep here on on the uh, on the Rams. I think Matthew Stafford's going to pick apart that defense. And Shane, I have a question for you: Who knows Jared Goff in and out? Who knows his idiosyncrasies, his weaknesses, the things he doesn't like specifically more than anyone on planet Earth? Ben Johnson. But that's not the answer you're looking for. It's Sean McVay. I think it's Sean McVay. I think Sean McVay. Ben Johnson's mostly only seen the strengths and the positives. Sean Sean McVay lived through some of the negatives with Jared Goff, or more of the negatives, I I should say. So I I think the Rams are a lock to win that game. I I really do believe in the Rams to win that game. And if I'm saying that, the Rams did play San Fran pretty well the first time they faced them. I think they lost by seven, but... I, I it's it's tough for me to sit here and tell you that the team that I thought was going to be the worst team in the NFL before the year is going to beat the team that I think is the best team in the NFL. But man, Kyron Williams and Puka Nakua and Cooper Cup and Matthew Stafford and Aaron Donald that they have blue chip guys that if Sean Mc and Sean McVay is such a good coach that those blue chip guys, Sean McVay, Raheem Morris doing a great job as the DC who's getting a ton of interviews it makes you feel like the Rams are, if you're looking for kind of that wild card, you're looking for the team that could surprise everyone. It feels like it could be the Rams. Yeah. All right. Well, that's going to wrap this part up. We're going to spin it forward now. And like we talked about at the beginning, we're going to fix your franchise for every team that did not make the playoffs. We're going to use the format of a mock draft to do this. Um, 
sort of. And so uh, we're going to walk through the first, you know, half of the first round. Mark's going to take the odds. I'm going to take the evens. We'll talk coaching. We'll talk some roster moves, and then we'll ultimately make a selection and a mock draft for these guys. So, Mark, that puts you up on the clock first for the Chicago Bears. Uh, I'm going to throw it to you, and I'll be back in just a moment, but you go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. I led my radio show with this last week. Um, There is absolutely – it's shocking to me that Justin Fields, after being this guy who I defended for a long time, um, you know, against some of the same people who are now defending him, and Shane, when he comes back, will say the same thing. Nobody's a bigger Justin Fields guy than Shane Half. I'm high on the list of Justin Fields apologists and Justin Fields defenders. But there is just no explanation for keeping Justin Fields and trading this pick away when you have an opportunity at an extremely elite quarterback. In my opinion, elite quarterbacks step into franchises and immediately change situations you see Patrick Mahomes he leveled the Chiefs up from a team that went to the playoffs to a team that competes for Super Bowls Josh Allen took a team that was happy to go nine and seven with Tyrod Taylor now they're disappointed when they go 11 and 6 12 and 5 Joe Burrow took over a team that could never do anything and now all of a sudden they're Super Bowl contenders they went to a Super Bowl Jalen Hurts he comes into a team that's supposed to win six and a half games He takes them to win nine games. He makes the Super Bowl the next year. Now we're disappointed in them winning 11 games and making the playoffs. I think, you know, you look at CJ Stroud. He comes into Houston. He immediately changes the situation. And this is not to say that Justin Fields had a good situation in Chicago. Me and Shane have laid out the multitude of reasons why he does not. But if he was an elite quarterback, he would have changed the situation a little bit more than he has. And maybe that's unfair, but I think you the more you see out of fields, the percentage goes down that he's ever going to be that top five elite Super Bowl winning option that you that justifies giving him a big contract. So Shane, I'll ask you a question real quick. I I'm pretty sure you're on the side of drafting Caleb and trying to trade fields for a high second, right? Yes. Okay, and and just so people know, Shane is the biggest Justin Fields guy in the business today. Still believes in him, and he, I, I do too. But for you, is it more about the contractual situation of getting off of Fields before you have to pay him and restarting the QB clock with a team that maybe isn't even ready to compete yet? Or is it about the opportunity at grabbing an elite quarterback and changing your franchise? Because to me, it's just about 50-50, and I was in an argument for someone telling me how I should feel about it. I was curious what you thought about it. Yeah, I think it's both It's both and for me. I mean, yeah. if, if, if the Bears were sitting at pick three, I would be arguing they should build around Justin Fields, that they yeah. shouldn't you know trade three and nine to get up to one and get – or that's that's a ridiculous trade, but you know I would I would be arguing they should trade like three and their next two first round picks to get up to one to get Caleb. I wouldn't do that, but it's the unique opportunity that you're sitting at number one with a incredible QB prospect, and it's also the contractual things. I mean, 
the the upside for Justin Fields, he's played better down the stretch here, but the upside is he really figures it out next year just in time for you to pay him uh, versus now the only component that makes this tricky potentially is having guys like DJ Moore speaking up that keep keep Justin Fields. Let's you know, we want to we love this guy. We want to build around him. That's the part you've got to be able to navigate the interpersonal part. When I think when I look at football, I look at film and I look at spreadsheets and I've never had to manage like the interpersonal dynamics of that. And so that can be tricky. And I'll acknowledge that as long as you have a plan. And that's also precisely why you can't do what the analytics nerds will tell you. And I should not use that in a derogatory term because I'm an analytics nerd. But some people say that they you should keep fields and draft Caleb Williams. <laughs> and I just think that's asinine. I don't think yeah. that makes any sense whatsoever. Um, and so you don't do that at all. Uh, but yeah, I would move off of fields. I think you can get uh, early second and probably a fourth round pick for him and you go get Caleb Williams and you get yourself another shiny toy with pick nine and you go from there. Yeah. I mean, it, you, you draft Caleb Williams at one, which is what I'll do here for the sake of this mock. And then you have pick nine, you have the first pick of the second round, and then you have probably another high pick in the second round from new England or New York or, you know, Atlanta. They actually don't have the first pick in the second round. The Panthers have oh, that one. Duh. They have a high pick. They have their own high pick, probably the eighth or ninth pick of the second round. That's my apologies. Unless they traded it. They actually did. They traded for Montez Sweat. But they yeah. have the ninth pick, and in this scenario, they would have another second round pick. It's not like, you know, you wouldn't have assets. I've heard a lot like, oh, <clears> you have you have to keep all these assets and build around fields. You know, you're just using one of them. Uh, so, and I think Caleb Williams is just a slam dunk pick at number one. And we'll get into more of the reasons why down, down the stretch on these pods when we get into more draft season. But, you know, if you're thrown off by some of the narratives around Caleb Williams this year, um, you know, he, his team went seven and five. He cried to his mom on the, after the game on the field. That's fine and all. Go pop the tape in. Go watch Caleb Williams and go tell me that you wouldn't want to watch that on your favorite football team. He is an absolute delight to watch. He, he is an insane, insane, instinctual player in the pocket. His arm strength is unbelievable. His accuracy is incredible. It's not his fault that USC had a historically bad defense. He basically had the same statistical year he had last year when he won the Heisman and took the country by storm. So um, Caleb Williams still just as good of a prospect as he was last year when you started hearing about him, just be, even though people got sick of him this year. Yeah. All right. Well, let's go to pick number two, uh, which is the Washington commanders. Uh, Rufus Rogers says, I agree with trading fields, but William's size scares me. And if that's the case, if you're the bears, go draft Drake may, uh, and you could certainly make an argument for that. I I'm not there and I haven't gotten super deep into these, but that's what I'm going to do here uh, with Washington. And, you know, regardless, at the end of the day, whichever quarterback you like is who you should take if you're Chicago. But uh, as for Washington, they did oust Ron Rivera finally. Uh, I think they should heavily target Ben Johnson, uh, Detroit's offensive coordinator, to be their next head coach. Uh, I firmly believe you want an offensive head coach. You want an offensive coach that's calling plays when you bring in this rookie quarterback because you don't want the system changing. And then you sprint to the podium to take either Drake may or Caleb Williams, like whoever Chicago doesn't take, that's who you're taking. Uh, in this instance, it's going to be Drake may. Uh, and then they have two second round picks, uh, Chicago's 
which is number 40, their own, which is number 34, I believe. They've got two-thirds because they have San Francisco's. They need to focus on rebuilding their pass rush uh, through those second and third round picks. Trading away Montez Sweat and Chase Young really hurts your defense. Like I said then, you should have kept one and paid them. Now you really have to focus on the trenches uh, through edge rushers and your interior offensive line that needs some help. So uh, it's Drake May here. It's strong investment in the trenches in round two. Uh, and that brings us to the New England Patriots. So, Mark, what do you have for New England? By the way, I have a fun Drake May comp for you. Okay. Drake May is like if Justin Herbert played with Josh Allen's FU, I don't give a crap mentality. Like that. I'm in. That's no, he's sick. Drake May is awesome. Um, Caleb Williams, the height and weight thing. Let me just say, like, he is like three inches and three. 30 pounds bigger than Bryce Young, who just went first last year. And I know Bryce Young is going to scare people and want everyone to take a 6'5 quarterback. But, you know, you can go look across the NFL. There's plenty of guys who are succeeding at 6'1. So um, it's not, he's not Bryce Young. Uh, That's all I was going to say about Caleb Williams. But Drake May is, in my opinion, definitely a tier down from Caleb Williams, but. He is absolutely one of the better QB prospects in a long time. Me saying that about Caleb Williams is just because I think Caleb Williams is as good as Trevor Lawrence was as a prospect. Um, I think he's tied for the best QB prospect since Andrew Luck. I think Drake May, if you stacked up the QB prospects of every year, Drake May's top five. He's a top five prospect of the last, I guess Luck was probably about a decade ago. So I think he's, top five QB prospect of the last decade. So I certainly wish Washington would have beaten the Eagles one more time this year, at least. So uh, he would be a new England Patriot instead of a Washington, whatever their team name is going to be. Yes. But unfortunately they did not. And so that puts the Patriots on the clock here real quick. The top two guys are off the board. So what's the move? And real quick, before I get to the Patriots, I will just say the commanders should hire Eric B Just, Bring him in as the head coach. He was in your building. Uh, Josh Harris, you want to get some PR points? Hire the guy who everyone knows deserves a chance, who nobody has given a chance to. That is how you score some PR points early on. Um, and I think it's not like you're you know, doing a PR move for a guy who doesn't deserve it and a guy who hasn't done a good job. So um, that's, that, that is who I would pick for uh, Washington to hire there. New England – I mean, they might need to pick someone to hire. That's a whole other conversation. Who knows what's going to happen there with Belichick. Vrabel just came available. Seems like uh, that's a pretty natural fit there. Um, but in terms of their needs on the field, they need – it's kind of funny. You look at their defense. I don't know if you could say that there's – by the way, these PFF needs are outdated since last year. There's like they're not updated at all. Um, some of them make no sense if you look at some of them. But uh, the Patriots for their needs, I don't know if you could say that they have a specific need on defense. They have a lot of keepers at a lot of these positions, like Christian Barmore at interior D, D line, Josh Uche and Keon White and Matthew Judon on the outside, Tavai at linebacker, um, Jones at corner, Christian Gonzalez at corner when he's back from injury. Uh, they're all mostly young and very good. Jabril Peppers had a very good year. He's not young, but we'll probably keep him around. Like they're Kyle Duggar, pretty young guy. Like they are, they have a lot of pieces on defense. Their needs are 
pretty much every single offensive position. I don't know if they have a single guy on their offense who you can look at and say, oh, yeah, they're definitively a part of the future in New England. Not a single one. Uh, not even on the uh, offensive line. Maybe Cole Strange. Maybe some other guys on the interior line. Maybe uh, Michael Omenu. There's not a lot to point to. You need an entire offensive overhaul. Um, so, you know, it. I think, honestly, they should keep Belichick and get a new GM. I, I That's how I feel about it. But like I just, even though I just said Vrabel makes a ton of sense, it, they need to hire an offensive-minded guy because they need to form an entirely new offense. I think you go out and you sign a quarterback or you, you get a bridge guy. You're not ready to bring in a young quarterback. You're going to ruin him if you bring in a young quarterback to this situation. So go and draft Marvin Harrison Jr., get potentially the best player in the draft. Draft a QB in the second round or sign Kirk Cousins or Gardner Minshew, whatever you can do. Uh, but I, I think if you're the Patriots, you just have to sit at three and take Marvin Harrison Jr. Don't get too cute. Don't trade down. Get Marvin Harrison Jr. All right. Uh, so Marvin Harrison Jr. there. That puts me up to talk about the Arizona Cardinals. And uh, the first thing I think the Cardinals need to do this offseason is let Marquise Brown walk. Uh, he is not worth what it would take to re-sign him. I think you just need to let him go. And then this is going to sound dumb. Mark, are you ready for the dumbest thing I've ever said on this podcast? Hit me. Add top talent through the draft. I disagree. Like, <laughs> I, it sounds dumb, but like, don't try to force a specific pick. Like, you need help everywhere. Does Marvin Harrison make it to four? Take him. Is he gone like he is here? You can take Joe Alt or uh, Ole Fashanu and, and bolster your offensive line with one of the really good tackle prospects. You can trade back and you could take, you know, target Kool-Aid McKinstry or Cooper DeGene and, and you could bolster that defense. Um, uh, there, You've got a lot of options. You've got an additional first round pick to boot because they have uh, Houston's first round pick that we'll get to in a minute. They've got three third rounders. They got so many picks. Like, I don't even feel like you need to trade back. Just take the top guy on your board here. And uh, for me, uh, I I'm going to go ahead and say they go get Joe Alt. Uh, they add an offensive tackle to really help out, uh, help keep Kyler Murray healthy. We're going to build around him. We would have liked a receiver. Malik Neighbors is tempting, but there's probably receivers in other places in the draft that we can go get. So I'll take Joe Alt here. Uh, for the Cardinals. I do have a take here. Joe Alt might be too tall for the Cardinals. Six eight. I mean Kyler. I mean that's that's uncomfortable. That's gotta make Kyler a little uncomfortable. That's too tall. Um but yeah <laughs> Joe, Joe Alt would be my top tackle as well. I actually wouldn't go in the direction of a tackle. You locked down Paris Johnson Jr. last year who looked mm -hmm. incredible. So it almost feels like, yeah, obviously, would it be great to have two incredible star young tackles? Of course. Um, but I do almost think Jason Peters and Lane Johnson. Yeah, of course. It'd be great. Um, but uh, I do almost think go and get a weapon. You know, there's a lot here at the top of the draft. I'm not as high on neighbors. I'm more of an Odunze guy um, and also a Bowers guy than neighbors. Um, but I, I think if you're the Cardinals, I would love to see the Cardinals get a Marvin Harrison, get a Roma Dunes, get a Brock Bowers, even a Malik Neighbors. Um, uh, and I honestly, I feel the same way here about the Chargers. Um, I, I think there is no excuse here for the Chargers 
to walk out of this draft without one of Marvin Harrison, Roman Dunze, Brock Bowers, maybe Malik Neighbors. For me, it's really Harrison, Adunze, or Bowers. And I'm gonna go with a I'm gonna go with a receiver here. I'm gonna go with Roma Dunze. Um, I I think Roma Dunze is the fourth best prospect in this draft. I have it Caleb, then May, or Caleb, then Harrison, then May, and then Odunze. Um, what I think they will do is I think Jim Harbaugh is going to take this job, and I think he's going to take the tight end, Brock Bowers, um, from uh, that he remembers playing Georgia a couple years ago at five catches, 60 yards, and a touchdown against Michigan. Um, I think Brock Bowers is meant to be a charger, but I – am the GM right now. So I'll take Roma Dunza. All right. So that puts the giants on the clock and the giants are in no man's land. When it comes to quarterbacks, they are basically tied to Jan- Daniel Jones being on their roster next year. And so, you know, do you make a strong move for quarterback now? If you believe in Jaden Daniels or anyone for that matter, then go do it. And, you can let him battle with Daniel Jones. Worst case scenario, he's the starter in 2025 for you. But you also need a right tackle probably at this point because Evan Neal has been horrific for two seasons in a row. You can use interior offensive line. You could use an actual wide receiver one because they don't have that. So there's a lot of options they could go to here. Um, I do feel pretty strongly they need to let Adoria Jackson walk in free agency. Like he doesn't fit your timeline anymore. Uh, neither does Saquon. You got to let Saquon go. Quit doing the Saquon thing. It would be nice to bring back Xavier McKinney if you could. Solid safety. He's still young. Uh, you have a first. You've got two seconds because you have Seattle's second and you have a third round pick. So you've got some ammunition to work with. Um, is if if Olu Fashanu was a right tackle, this would be an easy decision, right? Because they need, I think they need a right tackle. I'm pretty out on Evan Neal at this point, uh, but he's not. He's only ever played left tackle. And then you start to get into, do I want to draft a tackle number six overall? And then ask him to change sides of the ball. Um, where does... Is is Fuega, is he a right tackle or a left tackle? I can't remember now. I think he's left, isn't I he? I think he's left as well. Honestly, yeah. I think they would probably would probably either ask... Who's their left tackle again? Andrew Thomas. Andrew Thomas. I think that they would either ask Thomas to try to try right, or they would ask Fashanu to do it. I, I think that's probably what they would do. Yeah. And or, so they, I, or they would take Daniels, like you said. I do think that's possible, um, but I, I think it's very much quarterback or tackle. Yeah. So for the purposes of this one, I'm going to take I'm going to take Fashanu here uh, and say we can figure out right and left side later. However, if you believe in Jaden Daniels or Bo Nix or Michael Penix or whoever, if you believe in somebody, go get them here because they definitely need a quarterback. Uh, but we'll take Olu Fashanu for the Giants. And that puts you on the clock uh, for the Tennessee Titans who are in total tear down mode i mean derrick henry's going mike vrabel's gone ryan Tannehill's gone kevin byard's gone uh they, they are everyone who has kind of been a part of this era of titans football is leaving and you're building around will levis and you know he showed flashes so you don't feel as bad as you could as me and shane probably thought you would after year one of will levis 
And I think that there's only one way to help him, and it's going and getting a special talent to pair with him, and that's Brock Bowers. Uh, I know you have Chiggy Okonkwo, um, but I- I'm going to go with Brock Bowers here for Tennessee. Um, I-, I put out that Brock Bowers fits incredibly on the Chargers, Titans, and Jets. Uh, but And I had a Titans fan yelling at me, telling we have to take a tackle. Our offensive line's terrible. And my answer to that would be, you're at the very beginning of a rebuild. It doesn't matter if your offensive line's perfect next year. I know that you want to protect Will Levis. Having an elite talent like Brock Bowers who can block and also get open early in routes will do so as well. Um, so I think Brock Bowers is a really, really good option here for Tennessee. But, I mean, you need a lot if you're Tennessee. You need a running back maybe to pair with Ty J. Spears if you don't view him as a full-time back. Uh, you need a receiver to pair with Hopkins. Maybe you don't even want to keep Hopkins around. Burks was like one of the worst PFF-graded receivers in the NFL this year. Um, the tight end, you could argue, you know, Oconco is pretty good, but I, I think that it's a need. Edge is definitely a need to put someone next to Jeffrey Simmons, and they don't have a they don't have very good cornerback or safety depth. So D back would definitely be a need as well. Um, a lot of needs here for Tennessee, but I, I think especially in a division that just got really good with Jacksonville, Houston, and Indy. <laughs> Tennessee is probably going to be one of the worst teams in football next year, no matter you know what they do here in the draft and no matter who they hire at coach. Yeah, I think they made a huge mistake at moving on from Vrabel in the way that they did. But Yeah, I mean, if you're at the very beginning of a rebuild, though, maybe it's part of a situation where you talk to Vrabel and you're you're like, you don't want to be here for this, right? Like, And he doesn't, so I'm sure he wouldn't want to. Uh, so I, I tend to agree with you. I, I think Vrabel's a very good coach. Uh, but if you are at the very beginning of a complete teardown, you know, it's it's unlikely Vrabel would make it through that anyway. Yeah. All right. That brings us to uh, the Atlanta Falcons. And right. for the Falcons, who thankfully got rid of Arthur Smith, they've got to go figure out a head coach. And I'm going to save my head coach for a moment because I want Mark, I want to get Mark's reaction to the head coach. So I'm going to say step one is figure out quarterback. I don't think you can get Drake May or Caleb Williams. I I don't think either of the first two picks are for sale. Uh, The top two teams need quarterbacks. There are two teams ahead of you that also need quarterbacks in the Patriots and the Giants. And so if somebody was going to go up, it wouldn't be, it would be one of them. This is the Justin Fields spot. Like the Falcons have a second, two thirds, uh, offer your second round pick and a fourth round pick for Justin Fields. If you have to uh, make it con- conditional to where it becomes a third round pick, if he, you go to the playoffs next year or whatever, do it, go get Justin Fields. This is the spot. Then you need a coach to pair with Justin Fields. And here, here's where I'm at, Mark. Um, you, we've already talked about Eric Bieniemy, and I don't know if Eric Bieniemy is going to get a job offer or not, but I, I listed him as an option here. Another option, uh, because I believe if he doesn't get the Washington head coach job. I believe he's allowed to make a lateral move to be an OC somewhere else. So we're putting together a duo of Bill Belichick as head coach. Eric Bieniemy is the offensive coordinator. We're bringing in Justin Fields. 
And then we're going to go draft an edge rusher because the Falcons have been near the bottom of the league years after years after years. Their Bud Dupree's contract is expiring. The bones are here for the Falcons offense. If they can nail the QB and the coach, I would focus heavily on the defense throughout the draft. If you've got a guy like Belichick, you know, uh, he can get more out of less with your defense. So uh, I go get uh, Latu Latu from UCLA's edge rusher here for the Atlanta Falcons. And remember, Justin Fields is now your quarterback uh, if I'm pulling the strings here. Yeah, you either have to go and get Justin Fields or you have to draft Jaden Daniels. It's really like you have two options um, there for the Atlanta Falcons. I do think Justin Fields makes a ton of sense. I Apparently the Belichick smoke is real there. Um, that, that Atlanta is interested in, in Belichick. You would, I think, like, like you said, you would need to go and get a creative uh, offensive play caller. I'm not going to spend too much time with the Bears here because we already talked a lot about them. Um, I didn't bring up their other needs, but um, their other needs, it really comes down to, you know, outside of quarterback, running back, receiver, interior O-line. And then on defense, you're pretty good at linebacker. You're pretty good at cornerback. You're really, I mean, it's at corner and safety. You have three guys you feel really good about. Um, but in terms of you, you could definitely use help up front on, on your defense. And I think you look no further than Dallas Turner. I, I think I, if you're Chicago, you walk out of this draft with Caleb Williams and Dallas Turner, you should feel really good about competing next year. Um, because you are really good in the back seven on your defense. Now you have Caleb Williams. You have DJ Moore. Maybe you can bring in a receiver in free agency. Uh, maybe a T. Higgins. He would fit pretty well with DJ Moore. Um, I, I think Chicago would be able to hit the ground running right away there with a situation like that. So uh, I, I feel like I every time I do a mock, I always end up with Dallas Turner at nine to Chicago. I think the fit makes so much sense. All right. So that puts... Uh, up on the clock, the New York Jets, who pushed their chips in this year, and it didn't go as planned with Aaron Rodgers getting hurt. Uh, before we get to the draft, uh, it would be nice to bring Jordan Whitehead back for one last push in 2024 with Aaron Rodgers back. Uh, the Jets need upgrade at offensive tackle, for sure. Uh, Makai Becton is a pending free agent, and bringing him back wouldn't be the worst uh, because offensive line play is not great, but across the league, but he shouldn't be guaranteed a job in any way. They could also use upgrades at wide receiver and interior defensive line. It's, it's really like, I think, I think Talisi Fuega is probably the pick here um, or JC Latham, either of those tackles, except for the fact that Malik neighbors is still there. And if you look at what the jets have at wide receiver outside of Garrett Wilson, it's not a lot. It's a bunch of Aaron Rodgers buddies that aren't very good at football. <laughs> and so uh, if the board fell this way, I would go take Malik neighbors. However, uh, offensive tackles also a big need. Maybe you can grab one of those in, Oh, in the third round. Cause you don't have your second, which is problematic, but uh, I'll take Malik neighbors here. Yeah. You need a receiver and you need a tackle. I mean, you're going to have to get one in free agency. You're going to have to get one in the first round. That's how it comes down to there um, with the Jets. Neighbors would be uh, a pretty good fit there with Garrett Wilson. The Vikings, however, not a team that needs receiving help. Maybe that's the only position that you wouldn't look at with the Vikings. Um, but everywhere else, they could use some help. Um, I actually – I had a couple takeaways, and you know, the, my, I feel like I had three big takeaways. One, when I, when, when I was going through this. One, the Patriots, 
not as you know terrible of a situation for maybe a new head coach to step into. Uh, you just need a, a completely new offense, a pretty good defense set up right there for you. My number two takeaway is that this Vikings roster is not good. Like it's not very good outside of Justin Jefferson, Jordan Addison, TJ Hawkinson, and Christian Darisau. Uh, you know, defense, Brian Flores, uh, it, it might change my, it might've changed my opinion a little bit with him as a potential head coaching candidate and taking a look at their defense and who he was doing, what he was doing down the stretch with. Uh, it, it's not a very impressive cast of characters on the Vikings defense. In my opinion, they could use help at running back interior O-line, edge, defensive tackle, linebacker, corner. Like, you could use help at pretty much every position except wide receiver, tight end, offensive tackle, and safety. Like, they need a lot of help. I kind of thought, oh, Kirk Cousins will go back to Minnesota and they'll compete and they'll, you know, try to win a division. I actually think there's a chance kind of – maybe they go for a little bit of a reset here with Minnesota. Um, I, I don't know if you can do that with Jefferson on the roster. He might not love to hear that. Um, but man, I, I walked out of this not feeling great uh, about, you know, the potential options here for Minnesota. But in terms of this exercise and who I'm going to draft here for Minnesota, I am going to take a look down all the way down my board down to number 11 and I'm going to go down not, or my number 11, not the board uh, on the, that you're seeing on the screen of PFF. And I'm going to go with Jared verse. Uh, I'm going to go with the edge rusher from Florida state. Uh, Minnesota could use help all over that defense. Daniel Hunter, not exactly the youngest guy. I mean, he's really the only guy who made an impact there on the edge for Minnesota. Um, they could definitely use someone for, for the next 10 years there to set the edge. So I think Jared verse would be a really good pick there. All right, Jared Verse. I remember having him in my top five edge rushers last year, and then he didn't come out in the draft. So yeah, exactly. Excited to reevaluate him this year. So that puts Denver on the clock. Uh, first thing Denver has to do, and they're going to, is rip the Band-Aid off the Russell Wilson contract. Like It's going to be $35 million in dead cap in 2024. It's going to be $49 million in dead cap in 2025 via a post-June 1 release but you made it clear it's time to move on. And now QB is an issue. And so maybe they get aggressive and move up for a new quarterback. Maybe they look for a Kirk Cousins or a Gardner Minshew option. I, I don't know. Uh, they also have needs all over their defense. They could use Patrick Sertan's one of the top five corners in the NFL. They could use someone opposite him. They have needs everything in the front seven. Uh, they have a first round pick and a third round pick to work with uh, moving up to target a quarterback can be difficult without that second round pick potentially. Uh, however, in this case, they don't need to. And so Jaden Daniels is going to be the pick here for me uh, for the Dolph or for the Broncos. However, to be clear, I think there's no chance that Jaden Daniels falls to 12 to Denver. Mm -hmm. Like he's the third quarterback is going to go off the board higher. This is a little bit of a, strange exercise where we're not allowing trading and you know it's real early in this process so again don't think of this as like a definitive what we think will happen mock draft we're just using the mock draft as a way to talk about these teams and what they need uh, and and put a name in a slot so Jaden Daniels here to the Broncos 
uh, and that puts the Las Vegas Raiders on the clock. Mark, what do you have for us? By the way, with the Broncos, the Denver Broncos need Jaden Daniels. The only way you can escape uh, what they're going to have to deal with dead cap wise and Russell Wilson is what the Eagles did with Jalen Hurts. You find a cheap rookie quarterback on a rookie scale deal. And that's what Denver's going to have to do. And if they have to trade up to do it, you have to give up a future first to do it. I think it's what they have to do. I, I think they have to move up maybe above New York, the Giants, maybe above Atlanta at eight, whoever it is that's really targeting Jaden Daniels. Who knows? Maybe the top three quarterbacks go one, two, three off the board. But I think if you're Denver, you really have to talk yourself into trading up and getting Daniels because that could potentially save the kind of limbo situation that you're in right now um, as a franchise. So the Raiders here, I said my, my first two takeaways were about the Patriots and about the Vikings. My biggest takeaway, and I tweeted about it, uh, my biggest takeaway from this entire exercise is the Raiders roster is really good. I, I kind of, you know, there was rumors with Jim Harbaugh uh, who just won the national championship with Michigan on where he's going to go, whether he's going to go to the Chargers, whether the Commanders, the the Raiders. And I kind of thought to myself, like, obviously, if it's between the Chargers and the Raiders, you have to go to the Chargers with Justin Herbert, and that just makes so much sense. And sometimes I think you just think like that because you think quarterback-wise. But the Raiders roster is really good. Like, there's a reason they went 9-8 and eight this year. They went 4-5 and five with Josh McDaniels coaching them. So this roster is is pretty good, like – they have, you know, Josh Jacobs if you keep him, Devontae Adams if you keep him. And if you don't, you'll probably get assets for those guys. Jacoby Myers, Michael Mayer. The, you have two top 20 graded tackles, two top 10 graded interior O-linemen, according to PFF. You have Max Crosby, who's a star. Malcolm Kuntz, uh, I believe he's a rookie, right? If not a rookie, a second-year guy um, there for the Raiders. He graded out as the number 21 PFF edge rusher. Tyree Wilson was terrible this year. But he was always a project as a first-rounder. Maybe he figures it out, even just to be a situational pass rusher. Um, you have Jerry Tillery, who was an average D-tackle for them this year. A top-20 linebacker in P on PFF. Javon Morig was solid at safety. Jack Jones and Nate Hobbs both graded good to above average at corner in the NFL. I kind of walked out of this being like, they don't have all that many needs. Like, you need a quarterback, definitely. You need a D-tackle, definitely. You kind of need a corner. Like, you don't have a lot of depth at corner, but you you can use a corner outside of that. It, it comes down to maybe they get rid of guys, but you have a lot of talent on this Raiders roster, and I didn't really think like that before going into this situation. Um, but given who's available, I will go with a corner. Um, even if it's not a desperate need for the Raiders, I'm going to go with Kool-Aid McKinstry. You could easily convince me it's Terry and Arnold. I actually think the top two corners in this draft are from Alabama, and it's McKinstry and Arnold. I'm going to go with McKinstry here, though. All right. So uh, that puts the New Orleans Saints on the clock. And for the New Orleans Saints, stop pretending that you are a move away from making a run. Hey, Just, did you see him at the end of the year, man? They they looked pretty darn good, Shane. Yeah. Their car. Yeah, stop. Stop it. The Saints have pushed their chips in season after season, acting like they are in a win-now window, and they have failed to win 10 games 
or to win their division each of the last three seasons. They've traded up. They, they've gone and made big moves. They currently sit $76 million over the cap for next season. The second worst is Miami at $43 million over. But Miami has good players. Like, it is time to reset this roster, and it's going to hurt because they have kicked this can so far down the road. You're probably tied to Derek Carr for another year. Uh, it's $35 million in dead cap to cut him uh, for 2024, and I just don't think they can afford that. But you can get out of his deal after 2024 uh, for $5.7 million dead cap in 2025, $11.4 in 2026. If you don't restructure him, do not, I repeat, do not restructure Derek Carr and all the restructuring you're about to have to do because Carr needs to be gone after 2024. You look at, you know, the the roster, what do you need? Look for a developmental quarterback. That doesn't have to be a first-round guy. Uh, gut the roster and, and start to rebuild in the trenches. You have your first-round pick. You have Denver's second-round pick. Get in the trenches and, and try to build this roster. And so uh, in that vein, as I scan through the players that are available here, uh, I think – J.C. Latham is probably the pick here. Go get an offensive tackle. Start to rebuild this thing, right? So give me J.C. Latham. Uh, offensive tackle from Alabama goes to the Saints. And that will put the Indianapolis Colts on the clock. This is another team that I kind of walked out of feeling like, man, pretty good roster. Like, this is a team that I walked out actually feeling like you make a couple good moves this offseason and Anthony Richardson is good next year. This is a team that can compete in a real way. Um, and, and it depends how good Richardson is and if he stays healthy, maybe if you're able to keep a backup. Uh, like I, I said before, I think they should give Gardner Minshew starter money um, to stay around as a backup for Richardson. Um, probably won't happen if you're Minshew. You probably would want to go somewhere where there's a little bit more of an opportunity to be the starter, like a more of like a where Baker went this year in Tampa. Like, I'm sure there will be landing spots like that. Um, I don't know. Matt, given how beat up Anthony Richardson was in the few games, he might want to stay right where he's at. It's not a, you're not wrong. And I mean, it's, it, you'd be hard pressed to find a better situation for Minshew, but um, it, it'll be interesting to see. You're, you're right. That's an interesting kind of dilemma that, that the Colts are in, but no matter what you have to treat backup quarterback, like a very important position. If you're the Indianapolis Colts with what we saw from Richardson, he exited like, two of the three games he did play and then got hurt in the four. Like he, he really uh, did seem, I mean, he was electric when we saw him, um, but he, he did not stay healthy for very long. Um, the Colts needs, I would say receiver, not a desperate need. If you sign Pittman, I mean, you have Pittman, you have Alec Pierce, who's like a solid number three and Josh Downs was really good this year. I uh, really came on uh, down the stretch. So you're solid there. You're, but you could, you could use an upgrade tight end. You have a couple solid guys, but you could use an upgrade. If one was available linebacker, you're fine at, but you could get a lot better cornerback. You probably could use some help. Corner is where I'm going to look, and I'm going to go with Terry and Arnold, the other top corner, in my opinion, in this draft. Um, and I'm going to go take the other Bama corner off the board. All right. So that puts the Seattle Seahawks on the clock. And the Seahawks are in a tough spot because you're not going to win a Super Bowl with Geno Smith. Like, 
it was a fun story. I'm happy for him, but this is the worst place to be as a franchise. You're paying a t- non top 10 quarterback. Now, they're only paying him 31 and 33 million a year for the next two years, which isn't bad. But the problem is, I don't think he's good enough to win you a Super Bowl, and he's definitely not bad enough for you to get a top quarterback. And so, if there is a quarterback in the draft that they believe in, they should go get him. If they believe in Michael Penix Jr., if they believe in Bo Nix, go get him. And don't force it. You can put this move off and try to do it, you know, again with Gino, and you can do it the next year. Like, Gino gives you competency. He gives you job security if you're a GM and a head coach because you're going to win eight, nine, ten games. And so you don't have to force the quarterback pick. But if there's one you like, go get him. If there's not one you like, build up your interior offensive line. Get a safety so you can cut Jamal Adams. Uh, it's $10 million in dead cap each of the next two years, but it saves $16 million for 2024 to cut Jamal Adams. And you need to get an edge rusher. Uh, Uchina Nuosu, uh, he, there needs to be somebody opposite him. So they've got a first and they've got two thirds. They don't have a second round pick. Uh, I'm tempted to look at interior offensive line here, but I generally don't like taking that uh, anywhere above like the late first round, mm-hmm. uh, just positional value thing. There's not really a safety here. So I think you scan for edge rushers and, it's probably too early to take Braylon Trice. Uh, but, I love it. Okay. I was going to say, maybe it's a little early for Braylon Trice, but I think that's the best fit for them, uh, given where they're at. Like, yeah, I mean, Nate Wiggins, Cooper DeGene are still there at cornerback, but they've invested a lot at cornerback, and the defense has been bad, but I think a lot of it is edge rusher. So I'll take Braylon Trice here. Uh, we'll keep him in Washington. So that's a fun fit as well. Exactly. That's going to happen. I, I'm like, that's that that draft pick is going to happen. Seattle's going to take Braylon Trace. He also, like, if they keep Pete Carroll, he fits, like, the exact kind of mold of what Pete Carroll likes in edge rushers and the exact type of guy that it feels like Seattle always reaches a little bit on um, in, in the first round. Um, I, I think that that makes a ton, a ton of sense for Seattle. They desperately need some sort of a pass rush. And if they don't draft Braylon Trice, I think they would take the guy I'm going to look at here with Jackson. Hold on. Before you do that, can I say what the best thing about Seattle's draft this year is that I forgot to mention? What? They don't have a second round pick, so they can't draft another second round running back. Oh, yeah. There you go. that, That feels like neither of them hit as well as they wanted them to either, but they're both pretty good. Like it's a weird situation there in Seattle. Their whole offense is it probably underperformed a little bit this year. Um, But Braylon Trice, I really like that pick there for Seattle. Jacksonville. We talked about him a little bit. You're not a lead at anything, but you also don't have a ton of glaring needs. It's kind of a weird situation to be in it. It it reminds me a little bit of where Dallas was last off season, where you're not, they didn't have enough positions they were elite at. They had more with Parsons and Lamb and a couple other players there. But um, Jacksonville almost feels like a worse version of, of the Cowboys a, a little bit to me. But in terms of the needs, I think they could use a running back at this point. I, I think I'm willing to say, like, don't pay Travis Etienne. And that has to be around the corner. So uh, I, I think probably time for Jacksonville to look at a running back. Not here at this pick. And then... Uh, 
you need an entire overhaul of the offensive line, um, especially interior line, guard and center. You don't have maybe a single guy out of the three who should be a starter. Um, you have two fine offensive tackles. You don't have a, really a great offensive tackle, um, but maybe you could talk yourself into to drafting one of them. Um, even though you need a ton on the interior O-line, I'm going to go with a, a pretty big need in, in their interior D-line. Not a great run defense, Jacksonville. Um, so I'm going to go with uh, Jerzon Newton on, on the interior D-line. But he's also a great pass rusher as well. Eight sacks this year for Illinois. I have Jerzon Newton 20th right now on, on my big board. I think there's a chance I have him way too low. Um, I think he's a guy who people are saying is going to end up tearing up the combine. Um, so I could see Jerzon Newton going way higher than this in, in mock drafts in the future. All right. So that puts the Cincinnati Bengals on the clock here. Uh, right tackle Jonah Williams is a pending free agent. So you got to make a decision on bringing him back. I would lean towards letting him walk because I don't think he's been worth the money. However, offensive line has been such an issue for them for so long. They might have trouble doing that. Uh, they've also got other moves they need to make on the offensive line. They need to focus on offensive tackle and interior O line. They need to pick up a tight end uh, because their tight end moves didn't work out this season. Bonus points if you can find a way to move on from Ted Karras at center. Now, he struggled this year, and the Bengals could save $6.2 million by moving on from him. They have their own pick in the first three rounds. Um, obviously, I get, to, I get to make all these calls at once, and so seeing right tackles on the board here makes me say, definitely don't bring Jonah Williams back, draft one of these guys, and that's not the way it works sequentially. Uh, but... I mean, I think you take a strong look at Talisi Fuega and Armarius Mims, both right tackles here, and you take the one you like better. For me, that's Mims. Uh, I like both of these guys a lot. Mims had some injury things this year, and so that's going to be key for those medical checks and things. But uh, for now, I'll take uh, Marius Mims out of Georgia for the Bengals. By the way, Ted Karras, Walter Payton Man of the Year. Oh, well, that makes it harder to move on. Yeah, change wanting to get rid of great guys in the community. It's it's fine. Um, uh, but wait, we are wait. Um, am I are we doing these Arizona picks as well, or is that the does that wrap it up? Oh uh, no, that my intention was to talk about Carolina though. So oh, uh, gotcha. Let's. Ju- I'm just gonna pick people. There we go. Now it jumped to Carolina. So with the f- we can sort of see who's projected on the board here as Carolina is up at pick 33 and then we'll call it a wrap. So Carolina, are they the only team that didn't make the playoffs who doesn't have their pick? Yes. Oof. Woof. That's brutal. Um, yeah. Wait, I mean, is that right? I'm I trying think to, that's think. right. Yeah, I mean, Houston gave up their pick. I, I can't think of anything else. Yeah. That's absolutely brutal. I don't know what you do if you're Carolina. The you Jets get- gave up theirs, but then it ended up not being their first because Rodgers didn't play the snaps. That's what it is. Yeah, I'm looking here. I mean, if you're if you're the Panthers, your focus has to be on the offensive side of the ball. Um, it has to be getting guys who can block for Bryce Young or getting guys who can catch passes from Bryce Young. Um, I struggle to, to kind of find who I would go with here. I, I strength to, I, I have a guy, uh, who I'm pretty high on. I'll, I'll kind of make you scroll down to 57 on the PFF board. I'm going to go with Patrick Paul. who's an offensive tackle from Houston. 
Um, he he's a guy who's six seven, three fifteen. He's a freak. He's only given up one sack in the last two years while playing like eighteen hundred snaps um, at Houston, a team that passes the ball an absolute ton. Um, so he's a guy who played in not a, maybe not a pro system, but a system where he had to pass block just uh, an inordinate amount. So I just think this is a guy who he's coming from Houston. So I think people are going to downgrade him, but I think he actually is coming from a pretty good environment. Um, as Jordan Morgan, I think he's probably gone at this point. Um, he's a tackle from Arizona that I, I really like as well. I'm um, probably kind of late first, early second, but yeah, I'll go with Patrick Paul here for Carolina. All right. So there you have it guys. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Again, if you're one of those teams that did not a fan of one of those teams that did not make the playoffs, this was us pushing your team out to see launching the flaming arrow. And we will be back to talking about this stuff more in depth after the Super Bowl. We'll be doing positional rankings. We'll have dives on to do a lot of position. We'll do position rankings for every single position uh, before we get to the draft and, and a lot of other things. But uh, by the so way, stay stay hooked in here. Yeah. What's up? Patrick Paul, I just mentioned there. The quick thing you got to note about that. Can't trust those uh, those people with two first names, uh, first and last. Uh, fair, fair. Did All get, right. You got the joke there? Oh, no. What's my name? Oh, okay. That's okay. <laughs> a that's a joke. I I had to I had the spoon for a little bit. I'm just so used to saying your name all together. It's like no, yeah, Mark Henry Jr. A, it's like yeah, that's not a first name. That's a, my that's third a name cancels out the 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 that you know you can't trust the person with two first names. Juniors like some people get called Junior. So I, I can you trust a person with three first names? I think so. Yeah, I guess it depends on. What we're saying, what what are we saying? We should trust you about if it's your, <laughs> if it's some of your draft takes that get a little out there, maybe not. Hey, hey, hey! Let's not talk about. Um, I can't think of some. I can't think of someone off the top of my head. Uh, Carson Strong. Let's not talk. About <laughs> <laughs> hey, he would have been great if he didn't have paper mache knees. Oh, don't get me started. Don't get me started. All right. Well, uh, Mark, I, I guess I'll throw it to you. For, you got any final thoughts, anything you want to shout out before we get out of here? We normally do this uh, at the end of our episode, but. Yeah. Final thoughts. Yeah. Final thoughts. Uh, I'll just run by my, run down my, uh, my leans for the weekend. Love the Texans uh, plus three against the Cleveland Browns. I like the chiefs minus three and a half against the dolphins. Don't love it. Uh, like the over. 50 in Packers Cowboys. I think that game gets high scoring. I don't necessarily have a lean on the spread. Cowboys minus seven. Not going to touch that game of the year. Rams plus three and a half at the lions. I think they went out, right? I absolutely love it. I've been pumping it on the radio show for two months. I'd be a fraud if I didn't believe in the Rams after talking about it for so long. We've talked about it here. I feel like five or six times, uh, the potential for the Stafford bull. And now we're, we've got it. I love the Rams and, Shane is not going to be happy to hear it, but I do like the Philadelphia Eagles minus two and a half. Not love. How could you love right now <laughs> with what's going on with the Eagles? But I, and this is just a note. I guess my final thought will be about the Eagles since we didn't really talk about the Eagles. We left them out today. But what I'll say about the Eagles is things are bad right now. It's hard to deny that. Sirianni might be gone in four days, five days, whatever it is. But 
The Philadelphia Eagles scored more points against the Arizona Cardinals by nine than the Panthers have scored the last two weeks combined. Panthers scored 22 points the last two weeks combined. Or, uh, yeah, it's getting late. The Bucks have scored 22 points the last two weeks combined against the Panthers and the Saints. That's not good, folks. The Panthers aren't good. The week before, the Panthers gave up 26 to C.J. Beathard and the Jacksonville Jaguars, who were free-falling. The Jags went 2-7 and seven down the stretch. One of those wins was a 26-0 win against Carolina. That was followed up by Carolina holding Tampa to nine points. And by the way, Carolina, um, Shane's favorite rule in sports factored in in that game. They had a touchdown that the, the fumbled. This time, it wasn't as... I actually, I actually meant to ask you about this. I can't believe I forgot. This time, so he fumbled into the end zone but they recovered it in the end zone. What's your stance on that? I mean, it shouldn't be a touchdown. It's a touchback. They, it was a touchback. Oh, you're back. saying the defense recovered it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The offense, oh, yeah, recovered yeah. It, the offense fumbled it into the end zone. Defense recovered it. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's what should happen if the defense recovers. Okay, okay. I was my, making sure. My issue is solely <laughs> that a fumble goes out of bounds at the one-yard line. It's the offenses. If it goes one yard further, it's the defenses. Like, I just want consistency. And I'm totally fine if we want to say every fumble out of bounds, the defense gets the ball. I'm totally fine with that. If you, but I just think every fumble out of bounds should belong to either stay with the offense or go to the defense. It just should be consistent. So people, people will yell at me like everything's easy for the offense. Like don't take that away from the defense. I'm like, fine, give, give all of them to the defense. That's fine with me. I just think it should be consistent. Yeah. I don't, I don't really have too strong of a take on it as we've talked about on this before, but I just wanted to, I wanted to run it by you, but this, the, the, the point of bringing it up, Carolina should have had a touchdown in this game. Um, and it would have been nine, seven. And by the way, Carolina had multiple drives at the end of the game where they didn't take a field goal because they were down nine. So if that touchdown is scored by DJ Chark instead of fumbled on the inch line before getting into the end zone, um, it was initially called a touchdown. But if that was a touchdown, Carolina probably kicks a field goal to win that game and Tampa probably loses. So that's how bad Tampa played last week with their season on the line. I have to believe that the Eagles, if there's any matchup this year that they could figure out, the team they beat by the most points on their schedule was the Tampa Bay Bucks, who they played while they were playing their best football. The Bucks were three and zero, coming off of you know uh, they were feeling really good. We went into Tampa and we won by fourteen points. I think you have to feel as good as you possibly can about the matchup. And Shane and I, we sh- we dump on the Saints all day long. <laughs> we make fun of the Saints. But I can't lie, while the Saints were winning and it looked like the Bucks might even lose the game, I DM'd Shane and said, are we going to be in a situation where we have to play the Saints next week and they're going to beat us and Saints Twitter is going to come after us? I, I thought that's where we were going to end up. Um, but if this was the Saints this week, I'd be telling people bet on the Saints. Because I think the Saints at least closed playing pretty good football, probably like negatively to their future. But the <laughs> Bucks, the Bucks are not playing good football. This was three, four weeks ago. I'd be afraid. But the Bucks these last couple of weeks have not played inspired football. So that's just my note out there to the people uh, who are conceding the game. They might win. The, I'm conceding the season. <laughs> this team's not winning anything down the line, but this game, the Eagles can win this game and very much. Should. 
All right. Well, that is going to about wrap it up. Comment here from Rufus Rogers says Chalk Talk is still the best show on YouTube. Uh, thanks, guys. Have a great night. You too, Rufus. Thanks for joining the show. Uh, thanks for those words. I hope you guys I hope you have a great night and I hope all of you guys have a great night, regardless of who your team is, uh, regardless of whether they brought you joy or anger or whether there's still joy or anger to come in the playoffs. Appreciate you guys riding with us throughout this season. Again, this show will not go anywhere in the offseason. It will be in your feed. So make sure you're subscribed. Uh, thank you guys for joining us for episode 137. If like Rufus, you enjoy what you heard on the show smash that subscribe button and turn on notifications so you don't miss our next episode. Uh, drop us a five-star rating wherever you stream your podcasts. You can follow me on Twitter and YouTube at Shane Half NFL. You can follow Mark on Twitter at Mark Henry Jr. And we will catch you guys next week.